This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, Bob Lane. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Real Estate Hour here on Sirius XM 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Bob Lane. I'm an adjunct professor having taught real estate law and transactions here at the Wharton School as my moonlighting job and my day job for 40 years as I'm a practicing commercial real estate lawyer, presently as a partner at the law firm of Stevens and Lee. My guest today is Krista George. Chris is a very, very interesting fellow I've known a long, long time. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners, uh, which we're going to learn a lot about what they're doing. Um, but Chris is an experienced developer who's been involved in well over a billion dollars of first-of-a-kind urban development um, all across asset, across all asset classes. Chris has been a banker, a lawyer, um, I won't say a uh, radio host, because, but he's been a radio guest. Um, he's played a key role in the development of Northern Liberties in Philadelphia. Uh, he's a recognized real estate leader, and he's really focusing his attention these days in uh, Camden, New Jersey. So we're going to talk a good bit about that. But our general theme today will be commercial construction development projects in challenged areas and how to really revitalize areas that have uh, some problems. The emphasis will be on urban renewal and redevelopment, what companies planning such major projects will want to know, what people wanting to invest, lend, all that kind of stuff. And if you live in those areas and you want to know what's coming or how it might be coming, you'll also want to uh, pay attention and uh, feel free to for call. So, again, our number is one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Chris is not here in the studio with me, but he is on the phone. Chris, are you here? Bob, I am. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah, terrific. It's a great connection. Welcome. Welcome to the Real Estate Hour, Chris, or welcome back. I think well, it's almost well, three you, years Bob, since you were my uh, my guest it's, before. It's been three years. We're both three years older and hopefully three years wiser. And uh, hello to all your listeners. I uh, love your show, and I love to listen to uh, the business radio powered by the Wharton School. It's a great program, and we're all lucky to have it. So Great. thanks for having me back. Th- thanks thanks for the plug. <laughs> anyway, Chris, you, you've been, as I mentioned before, you've been a lawyer, a banker, a developer, an investor. Uh, you've been on radio and television. Um, you've had quite a storied career. Um, and uh, maybe you could start off just telling us a little bit more about that background and how that developed and how you got into doing what you're doing now. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Thank you. Uh, you know, life, I think, to some extent, takes us all where it wants to take us. Uh, so we all have plans in life. And I was a, a chemistry major and I was a pre-med uh, student. So, you know, I can see how far afield I went from that. But uh, I, I uh, you know, did have uh, a long background in, uh, in banking and construction lending and real estate capital markets. Uh, I love just everything about real estate, because for me, I'm a very visual person and real estate is tangible. You can see it. You can touch it. Uh, it's, uh, it's very creative because you can imagine what you think something should be. And then you get to see if you're, if you're right about it. Uh, that's always the fun part is to see if you're right or if you're wrong, you're not always right, but hopefully you are. And, uh, and, you know, I had uh, a number of years with a prominent, uh, international law firm, uh, in the real estate department. And, uh, I realized that of all the things that I was doing, the thing that I loved the most was, uh, putting the deals together. And I really enjoyed the development side of it because you're problem solving and you're trying to predict the future and, and uh, there's just lots of complexity to it, which keeps me uh, motivated and challenged and, and keeps me coming back for more. So, uh, and then a few years ago, of course, I decided to hunker down in Camden, which I had a little bit of a history with uh, uh, already. And, uh, and so three years ago was when we first started to chat about Camden and, and now we can bring your listeners up to speed on Camden and other things. 
Well, I'm going to first let let our our listeners know that uh, Camden, New Jersey, and I know this Camden's around the country, and our listeners do uh, go from coast to coast and north to south. So I know I used to vacation in Camden, Maine, a very different kind of Camden than Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey, uh, for our listeners, is right across the Delaware River from the city of Philadelphia. And New Jersey is, uh, you know, obviously one of the major northeast cities and has been, uh, you know, developed and has all kinds of industry and it's a coastal city as well. But Camden is, is inland, uh, you know, as it's, it's, it's the western side of southern, south, Penn, uh, south New Jersey. Um, and it's been really uh, blighted for many, many years, decades. Um, it has not competed well with Philadelphia across the river uh, or the central and northern New Jersey cities. And, the, and New Jersey as a state has been trying to incentivize and promote development in Camden for a long, long time. And it's really begun in these last few years to pick up some steam. And we're going to explore over the course of our hour how cities like that can get revitalized you know what? What might be the time frame? What are some of the uh, dynamics and the efforts and the the challenges and, and the opportunities? And Chris has been uh, you know forefront in, in in Camden, but we'll also mention. Uh, I think we're going to have some callers. We're going to, but we're going to mention. Uh, I know I had uh, a guest uh, uh, last year, Howard Zemsky of uh, New York, who was almost single handedly, but he had a great team uh, revitalized over many years. Buffalo, uh, and he uh, because of that he was appointed, uh, or not because of that alone, but that. Uh, gave him a lot of cred for becoming uh, Governor Cuomo's uh, economic czar for the last number of years uh, for uh, bringing uh, jobs and development, economic development in the state of New York. Uh, in Detroit, we have other experiences. Um, I know many years ago, uh, I used to live years ago in Providence, Rhode Island, was a very uh, negatively impact city that had a major revitalization over the last 25 years. So listeners who have had experiences in different cities, uh, you know, from coast to coast, uh, we'd love to hear your your views, your uh, uh, experiences, and uh, how they may interact with what's going on presently uh, in Camden. So so b- back to you, uh, uh, Chris. One of the things that I've observed is that it takes a, a slow but steady building of a critical mass to give a, uh, a city or an area that with, that with a negative uh, reputation to start really getting some, uh, to build some traction. Um, did that happen in Camden? Well, you're exactly right, Bob. I mean, it, it does. I think that in a place like Camden, uh, it, it was more than just one thing. I, I think uh, the last time we talked about Camden three years ago, we, we used uh, an example that we both were familiar with in uh, a part of Philadelphia. And, uh, and, but, but Camden is, was a bigger issue because Camden's you know, whole sort of socioeconomic infrastructure had just kind of fell into itself and, and collapsed. And it was partly and largely, not partly, but largely due to the fact that there were two giant, there were many big, powerful companies that uh, were, were headquartered in Camden for, for decades. But the, the two at the top of the heap were uh, one called New York Shipbuilding, which was the largest shipbuilding company in the world. And the other one was Victor uh, Records, which was the old RCA Victor company, which in its heyday, uh, you know, had 30,000 employees over in uh, Camden. And in fact, my grandfather's first job uh, in in this country when he emigrated here was as a cabinet maker for Victor over on the Camden waterfront. He lived in Philadelphia, but he took a ferry across the river every day and went to Camden to work at uh, Victor. And so when you lost uh, those two companies, uh, you know, Camden lost all of its jobs. And once the jobs went, you know, little by little, everything else followed. And then and the, for, for our listeners, for this, who may be less familiar with this, uh, you know, mid-Atlantic area, uh, the Delaware River um, and on the uh, west side is Philadelphia, the east side is Camden, at least where it, where it is at that point, was major, major, and still is a major thoroughfare in from the Atlantic uh, into uh uh, you know, into the uh, in, in, for the inland waterway for uh, for shipping, and over the, uh, the last many decades now, because the Philadelphia side shipbuilding sh- uh, ports uh, were a major part of our industry all the way up to to New York uh, and the Delaware Valley generally, um, and that that whole industry has really left port what we call port industrial has really left and and 
part of it is in the gentrification that lots of those areas have been developed with beautiful condominium and home and other areas of people want to live on the river rather than work on the river. Um, did, did you see some of that in Camden, Chris? Well, we're, we're starting to. So that's kind of where I was headed with, uh, with, with sort of the critical mass because, uh, again, uh, the loss of these big companies, uh, you know, uh, created uh, an absence of well-paying, you know, solid, stable jobs. So the job base was gone. And the effort over the last uh, several years has been to rebuild uh, the job base. And that has happened extremely well with uh, a couple of different very important economic development uh, incentives uh, that have helped bring, you know, big, uh, well-known companies, including our own Philadelphia 76ers, are now headquartered, of course, in Camden and uh, Subaru of America and Holtec International. These are big, you know, companies with great jobs and they pay well. And so now the job base is being put back into place uh, the next iteration is going to be to have Camden not be just a nine to five city uh, that, you know, uh, closes up uh, after the workday is ended and everybody, you know, leaves to go somewhere else. Now the, the thrust is to start to create the residential, the retail, the mixed use projects that will have entertainment components to them and so forth that will make Camden. A, you know, first of all, Camden is just a great place. It really is. It's a terrific city. It's a beautiful place. Uh, so, you know, the, the perceptions about Camden are really, you know, uh, largely just off base or very antiquated. People still have this image in their head or, you know, I'd, I'd start talking about Camden and people start you know, running for the exits, you know. But uh, not well, so much Chris, anymore. In, in, now, in, now they're all trying to get back in the room. Yeah, but in, in, in fairness, in fairness, it is a uh, an evolving city and there are areas that are really uh, you know so less than pleasant but there but your point is well taken because it used to be pervasive and it's been quite a number of years and we all know that uh, you can get a bad reputation very quickly but to t- get a good reputation where you had a bad reputation takes too way too long but I, I I know that uh, the incentives that the state of New Jersey and and, and Camden County uh, had put in place uh, for God, as long as I can remember, um, and I'm practicing 40 years, so we're talking at least 20, 30 years of, of, of governmental uh, stimulus, and it really took off very slowly. I know one of, uh, one of my, my guests, Carl Dranoff, who's a very uh, uh, high-profile uh, residential developer uh, on both sides of the river here in, uh, in Pencil- southeastern Pennsylvania, South Jersey, um, had um, you know ventured in there the Sixers as you mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers built their practice facility there just a year or two ago um, a number of it, things have started to pick up steam and that's uh, leading to uh, the building that you just closed on and have started uh, which is really an exciting project well we'll, 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 we'll just uh, touch on that for a second uh, it is because and I, I actually had the, the, the pleasure of working with Carl uh, Tranoff and Tranoff Properties uh, way back when I was still a banker. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, uh, still doing construction financing back in those days. And I actually spent a couple of years uh, working with Carl to put the financing together to uh, create a project called uh, Victor Lofts, which was the manufacturing facility that was owned by Victor at one time, and turn it into luxury loft apartments. This was gone back, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, and, and folks really did think we were crazy back then, but it was it was very successful. It's right on the waterfront. It looks straight across the, the Delaware River, which is a beautiful waterfront. It looks right at the Philadelphia skyline, and the project was, was very successful. So, so recently, Millennial Partners just acquired, uh, after a couple-year effort to do so, uh, we finally closed on the original headquarters building for uh, what was the Victor Talking Machine Corporation of Camden, which was Victor Records and and eventually RCA Victor. And we're bringing that building back. So this is a a gorgeous building that was uh, completed in 1916 for what was then one of the world's most prominent corporations. And we're we're bringing this building back as a beautiful mixed-use project. But one of the really cool parts of this project is the original 
recording studio uh, that Victor recorded every one of their masters in for decades, including Sinatra and Elvis and, and all world music, uh, everybody, presidents, all the Disney movies, all were recorded in this incredible space at the top of the building. And we're going to bring bring that space back uh, to to Camden. And, uh, you know, so we're still still lots of, uh, you know, we're early on in the process. So we're still trying to work out all the details to, to hopefully make that happen. But it's exciting. So yeah. uh, that's that's one of the, the exciting you, things. You know, that, that that point makes me think of which I, I, want, I want to talk a little about what I what I call the Greenwich Village syndrome. And I'm going to explain that in, in one moment. But first, I just want to take a break and uh, not a a break for the show, but just interrupt for a second to welcome any new listeners who have joined us since the top of the hour. Uh, you're listening to Sirius XM 111, the real estate hour, uh, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Bob Lane. I've been an adjunct professor teaching real estate law and transactions here at the Wharton School by night, and my day job is I'm a practicing commercial real estate lawyer, uh, presently as a partner at the law firm of Stevens and Lee. Our guest today is Chris DeGeorge, the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners. Uh, Chris has been uh, front and center in the urban renewal and restoration, uh, redevelopment of the city of Camden in New Jersey, a very uh, formerly blighted and, and impacted city. Uh, and we're looking at the experience there, like we've looked at uh, places in the, you know, the, the, the Rust Belt or the Steel Belt in, in, in New York and Pennsylvania, uh, Detroit, all, all, all areas of the country that have had challenges and what uh, some of them have gone through tremendously successful uh, revitalization from San Antonio to Providence to others, and others are now doing it. Uh, so if you want to join our conversation, we're live on Friday, June 8th. Please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you're listening at any other time of day or, or to a rebroadcast, please email your questions to businessradio at SiriusXM.com. I'll be happy to address them on my next show or by email. So, Chris, what, what you were just talking about in terms of uh, you know how the, the music and the entertainment industry was uh, back in the heyday of uh, – uh, Victor RCA Victor and Victor uh, Radio, um, you know here in Pennsylvania, um, we we've been uh, developing in some of the impacted areas of central uh, southeastern central Pennsylvania um, a lot of uh, facilities for filmmaking, for uh, for entertainment, for uh, all those things, uh, because the the land is relatively cheap. The government really wants to incentivize it, and it seems to be very successful. The, the head of our uh, our film uh, industry uh, promotion here in the Philadelphia region, Sharon Pinkinson, who actually is going to be my guest in two weeks. So. Uh, Tune in when Sharon joins us uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. It's going to really talk about how entertainment can spark development in real estate and how important real estate is for uh, you know film and, and other and uh, entertainment. Um, so what I call the Greenwich Village effect, um, and I grew up in Greenwich Village a um, long, long time ago, is that it used to be really a poor area of, of, of Manhattan, and the artists would move in there, and that's where the coffee shops would be, and it would really be an impacted area. And then when that happens, when the entertainers and the musicians and the, the cool people, the you know, back then it was the beatniks, you know, came in, and, and people really want to come, and they, uh, you know, the, the middle class, the upper middle class, the more well-to-do, and they want to either live or work or develop. Prices go up, and then those people move out. And they move to Brooklyn or to uh, Jersey City where they can afford. And then those areas become popular and grow. Um, and we've had that in Philadelphia. That's been in the West Coast. It's been all over the country where you find that kind of urban renewal based on where the uh, the arts go. And so is that is that pretty much one of your the, the planks in your platform, so to speak? I think it is. I think uh, let me just try to elaborate a little bit. I think that what we've seen is, uh, you know, what I would call and I think others have uh, referred to it as a new urbanism. All right. So there's been a resurgence, obviously, in urban real estate uh, in, in cities all across the country. Detroit, uh, you know, cities everywhere are experiencing varying degrees of resurgence. Uh, I think that uh, there are a number of reasons for that. There's different, uh, you know, as, as generations change, uh, lifestyles change. Not everybody wants to own a home in the suburbs, uh, which maybe was the American dream, uh, or at least the perceived American dream, you know, a uh, generation or so ago. People now want to live where the jobs are. They 
want to live in a you know a more vibrant uh, location. They they uh, want a balance between uh, their work life and their personal life. So they want to be everything's about convenience and being able to seamlessly go back and forth between work activities and, and uh, social activities. So to compete, uh, and, and cities are already set up for that. So cities everywhere are already set up for that. And uh, and really, that's kind of where you know the mission of Millennial Partners comes in. Uh, Millennial has always been about trying to put the soul and the, the fun kind of back into Camden. So the, uh, the New Jersey Grow project or the New Jersey Grow Economic Development Incentives that we alluded to a minute ago, have done a fabulous job of bringing these you know, terrific companies and, and employers or hiring lots of folks. We've, we've got to keep those people in Camden. We've got to have them want to spend time at a restaurant and, uh, and have drinks and, 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 and live there. So Millennial is all about trying to, uh, and as you know, real estate has a progression. It, uh, you don't just go from, from nothing to, you know, to having a big entertainment complex, you kind of have to build the jobs in, get the companies there, uh, and then set it up. So the three years, I think more has happened in the three years since you and I last spoke about Camden uh, than I've ever seen happen in any real estate market ever. And I've seen a lot of real estate markets, you know, that went from kind of out of favor and then they, they, they had a resurgence. But it's happening in overdrive in, in Camden. So it's really a very dynamic and exciting place to be right now. So how much would you credit to uh, government incentives to make that happen? The, the whole idea of government incentives for, for uh, our listeners who may not be facile or familiar with that, uh, that industry or that, uh, that situation is that where, there's div- div- where an area of a state or a city uh, or a region would not be developed or so it's perceived on its own, the economics just don't work, and the government really thinks it's in the best interest of that area to uh, stimulate investment and development so that tax base will, will grow, people have more places to live and work uh, and, and enjoy. Uh, so they find that that gap between the economics uh, that would make it work from a purely market standpoint, they fill that with some government subsidy, grant, encouragement, incentive. Uh, so that and that goes on all over the country to encourage job growth. And yeah, let, like let me let me jump in there because, like with I think everything else, it all boils down to execution. Uh, there's a lot of great ideas and uh, you know that you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. So a lot of times these. Government incentives, you know, just throwing money at a problem doesn't make the problem go away. It takes uh, it takes a village, so to speak. You have to have political stability and political leadership uh, that's on board. Camden did not have that historically. It does have that today, and it has had had it for the last two mayoral terms, uh, at least. Uh, so uh, the, the prior mayor and the current mayor are terrific uh, leaders, and so there's tremendous political stability. Uh, you also have a tremendous uh, – the, the timing uh, is very, very good right now because there is this resurgence in urban real estate. Philadelphia, which is just you know uh, across uh, the Delaware River, it's just a, you know, uh, a golf shot away, is – you know, it's becoming very expensive, very built out. Uh, so it, it doesn't make sense to have this gorgeous waterfront, you know, real estate looking back at Philadelphia, uh, you know, without having it become a functioning neighborhood and a functioning part of the Philadelphia metropolitan area, which it always was. Uh, it's only been in the more recent decades that uh, Camden was somehow considered to be sort of, uh, you know, this blighted place off by itself. So the execution is important. The political stability is important. The, the timing uh, of these things is very important. And, uh, and you know, so you've, you've got the jobs there, and, and now there's this momentum uh, that I think is becoming more palpable. Uh, palpable. Everybody can uh, realize now that, uh, that there's a, uh, this is not something that's going to somehow dissipate. And the other, oh, I know the other point that I wanted to make, Bob, was that there's a tremendous meds and eds uh, factor at work in Camden as well. You have uh, Rutgers University, uh, Cooper Hospital, and Rowan University have a joint board, and they've locked uh, forces with each other to create a, uh, a unified vision for for development of uh, you know of multiversity uh, that includes two four-year colleges and a medical school, nursing school. They're building a brand new you know hundred million dollar business school. 
Uh, and so you've got this tremendous meds and eds barter, which is always a plus, right? So any any city that's trying to, you know, get its act together, uh, having a meds and eds uh, component is usually a big part of that. And transportation is another big factor. Yeah. Camden has an incredible transportation. Well, one, one of the things for, for all cities that, that uh, b- both those that are well-developed, mature, and successful, as well as those that have gone through ups and downs over the decades uh, and centuries even in, in, in the United States and elsewhere, uh, is, is, is exactly that, is, is you know, how, how well do they evolve from an industrial economy to a service economy? How much is trans-based, transportation-based? How much is uh, tourism-based? How much is uh, you know basic resources? Um, we, we actually have on the phone, Chris, um, somebody who uh, you know who uh, was uh, involved with your Victor project, um, Graham Alexander. Uh, Graham, welcome to the Real Estate Hour. Hey, welcome! Thanks for having me. It's uh, delightful, uh, Chris. Well, hello, what... Graham. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good, Chris. How are you? <laughs> very, very well. Good to hear your voice. Uh, yeah, Graham. Why don't you take take a minute? I know you've been involved with this uh, project with uh, with uh, uh, Chris, and tell us a little bit about yourself and what your uh, background's been and what you're what you're doing. Sure. Well, I, I was born in Camden, um, but uh, it was already pretty much a post-industrial wasteland, um, and so my whole life you know, the area kind of stayed away from Camden. Camden was like a place you just didn't go to. Um, And uh, I always thought that that was rather strange. And basically, I'm a musician, and I worked uh, up in New York City for a long time, and I had the opportunity to buy up the brand portfolio of what was one of the biggest companies uh, in Camden, if not the largest, uh, which was uh, Victor. Uh, Victor Talking Machine Company, which obviously became RCA Victor at one point. And so started with the idea that we would bring it back home. Um, and obviously, it's been probably about five years of, of working on the project. But uh, we're, a, we're a manufacturer, we're a music company. And the idea is to bring Camden its Louisville slugger, you know, something that says, this is our main export. Music really is, you know, Camden really is the center of uh, what was the music capital of the world. That's a that's a great concept. And Chris, I'm going to let you uh, sort of feel things out with 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 Graham. But Graham, I understand you're a musician, a well-regarded musician in your in your own right. I I. I would say don't don't, know, don't be I modest, Graham. Tell him tell him of your background. Don't be modest. I know of it. <laughs> I would say that I, the New York Times said so, and I'll agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, you can sing Graham's accolades if you if you want. Well, let me just say a little bit about Graham. One of the things is that Graham is young. He's uh, I don't know if you've been thirty yet, but uh, so so Graham is a is he's a different generation than you and I, Bob. And it's his his generation uh, who we're building for, right? So it's his his generation that influences you know how we uh, look at real estate and the evolving uh, taste and, and uses and office space you know the millennials were great collaborators and wanted shared office spaces and open office spaces and that kind of thing now we've got you know gen z you know uh, starting to show up and and you know they're a completely different you know they're from the mid 90s on and they're a completely different uh customer and consumer altogether. but one of the most interesting things about all of this is that this thing that was created, you know, in, in uh, you know, at the beginning of the last century, uh, the, the phonograph, the record, the microphone, all of it was invented in Camden. It was all created by Victor. Uh, and to think that uh, at this moment in time, you know, millennials and, and younger folks, all they want is vinyl. Uh, so, you know, people aren't using discs anymore. That's gone. People are not, you know, downloading and paying for downloads. They're buying brand new you know, freshly printed vinyl albums. And so the idea of being able to reunite potentially uh, the soul, which is Victor Records, back into its original body, being the Victor Records building that we just acquired, uh, is intriguing and it's exciting. Now, particularly since we have, you know, the original recording studio with it, every Graham, Graham can elaborate a little bit on this because, in fact, I, I wish he would uh, talk a little bit about the recording studio there, Graham, and how that was the, the sure. model for the world. Well, you know, that, that studio on the top of the, the eighth floor, um, what's funny is that just a few years ago, uh, it was the school board offices, 
And when we would tour through there, uh, there were about 100 cubicles. And you would walk up and say, you know, you know, Frank Sinatra uh, did some tracks here and, and uh, Rachmaninoff and Louis Armstrong and all these amazing people who Victor had signed. Um, and they would kind of look at you with a puzzled look because it's their cubicle, um, which is, is a really good example of when um, history is, you know, history is not just forgotten, but it's also, you know, could be very profitable to the city of Camden. Um, it's cool factor. And so the ability uh, to possibly be able to go in and, and make this something that people can visit for the first time, uh, yeah, like Chris said, is very intriguing. Um, and that particular studio is the oldest purpose-built studio, recording studio in the world. Um, and it is the model for what would become Abbey Road, which was also designed in that same building. The Victor Records building acquired Abbey Road in 1929. And so almost every famous studio of today was also designed in that building. So that's like the record plant uh, in L.A., uh, among others. So the this is really actually, to me, to a, to a, to a dirt lawyer and a real estate guy for 40 years, this is uh, just ex- incredibly exciting to hear how this kind of industry can help cities uh, revitalize, and we've seen it around the country over the last century, I would say. Uh, Graham, please stay with us if you can. Uh, we sure. have to take a short break. Um, so, listeners, stay with us. We're only going to be three minutes while SiriusXM tells you about all the other wonderful things that uh, – you can participate in uh, over the next uh, over time. Uh, we're listening. Uh, we have a conversation with Krista George, the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners. Uh, Graham Alexander, a well-regarded musician and developer, has joined us, and I think we're going to have some other interesting guests join us after the hour. But if you want to join our conversation or ask any questions on Friday, June 8th, we're live. So please call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And again, I'm your host Bob Lane. You're listening to Business Radio, the Real Estate Hour here on Sirius XM one eleven. Please stay with us. You're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM one eleven. Here again is Bob Lane. Welcome back, listeners. Um, Thank you to those who have stayed with us during the break, and welcome to any new listeners who are joining us. You're listening to Sirius XM Business Radio, the Real Estate Hour, here on Channel 111. I'm your host, Bob Lane. I'm an adjunct professor teaching real estate law and transactions here at the the Wharton School by night. My day job is I'm a commercial real estate lawyer. We have a great show here today. Uh, Our guests, uh, none of them are in the studio. They're calling from all over the planet, I think. Uh, We have Chris DeGeorge, the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners, and Chris is one of the foremost uh, developers of the city of Camden, New Jersey, and renewal projects and just all kinds of things that we've been talking about. We also have had, just uh, before the break, Graham Alexander, a highly regarded musician uh, and developer and person of all of great repute. And we have, who has just joined us, a very exciting new guest who's going to join our conversation, Denny Lane. Denny, welcome to the Real Estate Hour. How are you, Bob? I'm terrific. First, congratulations. You've been recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, That's quite exciting. Really is. Really, really glad to see everybody again. That was the best part. Oh, I, yeah, well, we watch it on TV, and it's it's great to see it from remote. <laughs> but um, uh, for our listeners, uh, Denny is uh, one of the founders of the Moody Blues and uh, uh, Paul McCartney and Wings, and has been just one of the uh, just standouts uh, in the music industry. And we're really delighted to have you join our show as we talk about redevelopment and renewal in cities and how entertainment and, and music and, and other things can help spark that. But listeners, if you're listening on Friday, June 8th, we're live in the studio. So if you want to ask questions or join our conversation, please call us at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Chris, let me let me turn back to you because um, you've been the, the the spark that has been uh, developing all this, and maybe you can bring in uh, Denny's participation and thoughts uh, as well as Graham's. Well, thanks, I, I, Denny. Uh, welcome. Uh, great to hear your voice. Uh, I think you know it all ties back into real estate in the sense, Bob, that we were talking about uh, generational differences. And if you look at music as a barometer, 
uh, and, 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 and how people purchase their music. And, and Graham, I think this is probably going to go back to you for a second or two to kind of just tee it up, and then Denny and, and we can all have a little conversation about it. But it's gone full circle. So here, here was this company that built Camden, uh, and it was one of the most powerful companies in the world, and it was kicking out you know, photographs and record albums and, and, and the hardware that played it and so forth. And all of that is now cool. Again, it's, it's all back. Uh, millennials are all about, you know, genuosity and, and uh, everything being uh, authentic. There is no more authentic experience than, you know, a Victor record. And, and I think, Graham, just to explain a little bit, because you, you know how it's all gone full circle. And I think you can, you can explain it uh, more concisely than anybody. And Denny certainly has seen it uh, all over the world. So then he'll, he'll be able to speak about it as well. Sure. Uh, you know, I don't think people realize that Camden is really the birthplace of the disc record uh, and the record player, um, the gramophone. Um, and so I think that that is a real disconnect um, up until this point. And also the disconnect has been that, that for the most part, people believe technology will forever continue to progress. And that's just not a reality for certain formats. Um, and we've seen that with the disc record in the last 10 years. It's up 800% in sales. Um, the download is dead, and streaming is king. And really what streaming does is it's, it's basically on-demand radio. Um, and so now there is a hole in the consumer's pocket, um, and they want to purchase vinyl they want something hard um and also young people aren't impressed by digital formats uh, digital formats were impressive at one time but it's like a usb stick so to them the miracle of sound etched onto disc is more of a tradition than it is about being an audiophile um and even though i i like vinyl the way vinyl sounds better um you could debate all day how that works but at the end of the day the future generation I rightfully see vinyl as more of an etching of sound that is a miracle of sort of humanity and nature and science and all together. And they see the CD and, you know, downloads as just files. So the value that that brought to the music industry originally um, is something that lasted for years. It was global. Uh, Victor controlled a company uh, called the Gramophone Company which became EMI, which I think Denny could probably tell you about. Well, I certainly could. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let, let me just quickly um, jump in on the, on the vinyl thing, first of all. I mean, obviously, we started with vinyl. Um, nowadays, it's become through Record Store Day, et cetera, et cetera, the new thing. Um, but to us, of course, it's the old thing. And I, but I'm very glad about it. Actually, I've got a single out on vinyl myself at the moment. You know, the fact is that we've we've done the whole thing. We started that, and we went through to digital, all those different, through the 80s and whatever. You know, everybody had computers, they were making music at home, all that stuff you just mentioned, Graham. And, and, but I don't see anything wrong with new stuff. You know, I think it's just a tool again. Um, but what it's done is, I think the damage that it's done is downloading as allowed people to get music for free. And I'm not really having to go. I'm thinking about the people who can't go on the road and earn a living, who were relied on, you know, um, publishing and whatever sales, and, and, and they can't. They're not making money. So in a way, vinyl coming out stopped that. And I believe there is a system now where they can stop people downloading for free, because obviously, you know. You, you're doing what we used to do, and I, I hate to make a joke out of it, but we used to play for nothing, you know, because a lot of bands in the early days never got paid. It's, it's, it's well known in the business, you know. It was like the it was like the uh, the Wild West, and people, although they worked, they didn't see a lot of that money. But now, of course, with vinyl, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the fact that you're talking about venues, people get to go and see people now at venues, so more venues are opening. So things like what you're doing with Verve and whatever and, and you know the vault that's making people go out more to, to, than they used to you see what i mean so i think it's a great all-round thing you know well, I think this is Bob speaking. I, th I think nothing is ever going to replace uh, live concerts. I mean, just the, right. the, the energy, the thrill, the interaction, um, not only just with the performers, but with all the other uh, fans and, and, and guests yeah. is, is something. And, and, and 
as somebody who's um, you know probably one of the older uh, members here who grew up on vinyl um, and uh, you know forty fives uh, you know for those yeah. newer listeners there started with seventy eight RPMs on the old gramophones and I have sure. a gramophone with some old seventy eights <laughs> and then we had the, the the singles on the with the big hole in the middle forty fives and then the the right. LP long playing records they were they were oh. like in those days you could play you over like half oh. an hour right oh everybody wanted to go out and see what the new sleeve was going to look like you know i mean sergeant pepper and all that stuff that was fun but you know again going back to the live thing is yes everybody loves live but but all that stuff stopped for a while and bands weren't being there weren't so many bands for being put together there was nowhere for them to play so the good thing is that that has all come back as a result of going full circle if you like so and you know what i've got fans coming up to me like you know, kids coming up to me, which love that they love that old music, and it's a real sort of you know, it's great for me. I mean, I love it. I love somebody paying me a compliment. You know, who doesn't? You know, but kids come up to me and say, "We love your music." So that's the great thing about it for me. I know my my kids' generation. Um, you know, they're I guess millennials, um, not the the new generation. What is it, Chris? Uh, the the Gen Zs, Gen Zs, and the X Ennials, uh, yeah. Um, you know, they're they're, they're we're going to keep coming up with new uh, new letters of the alphabet for. Uh, <laughs> for, for I love it. Yeah, but um, you know, they they every everything is electronic. Um, and it was, and then to your point, Denny and and Graham, uh, they're now into vinyl, and and I have a vinyl collection of hundreds and hundreds of you know old stuff yeah. going back to the '60s and and '70s, right. and even some older ones that I inherited yeah. from my folks, uh, you know Frank Sinatra, those, and they love it. They they've all yeah. got turntables now, and yeah, yeah. Well, that's the great thing about it. I mean, like I said though, I love progress too. You know, I mean. You've got to think of it this way. From my point of view, we kind of invented a lot of the instruments, like synthesizers. You know, Mike Pinder from the Moody Blues was playing piano on the song I had with them, Go Now, and then he he went over to Mellotrons, which is basically, you know, a recording machine that you press a a key and it plays a a tape. So now it's the same thing, really, with, with, with all that stuff. But anyway, the thing is that he kind of invented the the um, synthesizer. The Him and the guy at Roland yeah. invented it, and so everybody then went through that. You know, so the early bands were really like the pioneers of a lot of stuff. But we don't we don't knock it when it went to thirty two tracks instead of four tracks. We didn't mind it. I mean, we'd try anything once. You know, Stevie Wonder came in the studio. We, we were working with Paul, and he came in and he gave us a Lindrum, which is a, basically a rhythm machine. And after that, of course, we use it on a couple of tracks. So we're not against anything new, but we we do like a bit of the old. You know, I made my last album in the studio that had all old equipment and new equipment. You know, they they cater for both sides now, and that's a great thing. So you know, I don't knock progress at all. I don't think we're going backwards. But you know, and that's the way. Just, it is. just to sort of add to it, what it's doing though is it, it it creates entertainment opportunities in cities across the world. You know, not only. Camden and the rest of the United States, but right. it does. It creates a lot. You know, there, there's a huge resurgence in live music and live music venues and uh, recording facilities. There's you know Third Man Records in Detroit, sure. and these things are they're cool. They're like uh, it's like going to a winery. You can watch. It's not some hardcore manufacturing process. You can go there and you can watch vinyl being printed. The Sony right. printing vinyl for the first time in 20 years. Uh, right. So it's very, very exciting because Camden gave birth to the entire global music industry. And right, right at this point in time, it's like what's old is new again. Camden's uh, reached the point in its uh, you know, resurgence uh, yep. right at the time that uh, the music industry is being reborn as an actual thing. The whole music industry had kind of uh, also imploded on itself and, and disappeared exactly. in a way. Yeah, let me just exactly. take uh, let me just take interrupt for one second because I, I want to, as we enter the last uh, segment of our show, I just want to welcome any new listeners uh, and remind you that you're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Bob Lane. We have uh, with us as guests, Chris DeGeorge, the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners, who's pr- heading up a major development in the city of Camden. 
New Jersey with the Victor, uh, RCA Victor, the old Victor building. And to that, we have with us Graham Alexander, a musician and developer in his own right. And of course, Denny Lane, just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, founder of the Moody Blues. And we're getting all their insights as to how entertainment and music and the the whole industry is sparking a resurgence around the country and around the world. And that's where, where you were just going, Chris. Well, uh, I, I, thanks. And uh, Graham, I was just going to ask you to do you have any uh, thoughts on, on what uh, we were just talking about there? Oh, yes, absolutely. But I'll keep them short. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really fascinating. I All I care about is progress. What's funny is I think that it's easy to be a retro fetishist. Um, but I actually also think that while that's very cool and all, you know, I love his master's voice and I love the old music, but um, like Danny said, one thing that's really, really nice uh, about what we're looking to do and what Camden has the opportunity to do is to be the center point of basically a new music industry that once again funds new music. Remember, you know, Sony, Universal, and Warner are the only three music companies, and they don't really pay to develop new music. And when you bring back things like vinyl and record players, you're not just bringing back a format, you're bringing back the ability to pay people to make music again. Remember, there's not a lot of professionally released new music from from bands. You may think there is, but, but there really isn't uh, on, a, on a national scale, on a major label scale anymore. Yeah, uh, and may, maybe those record lab, labels will get behind new artists, kids. You know, everybody says oh, it's not the same as it used to be. The talent isn't there anymore. Well, it definitely is there because I see young people, yeah. you know, great talent. But as you say, they, uh, they don't have that opportunity or they haven't had it for a while. And it's a great thing, you know, what you're doing with that that whole resurgence, using a brand name, that, but it's still going into the future, you know. Oh, yeah. So, that's, the whole, that's the whole goal of this is that, we can become a music center. Camden can become a center for a new music industry so that we can give people the same shot that EMI gave, you know, in the 60s or DECA gave in the 60s, you know. Right. And, and the ability, and here's the thing, the, basically you're utilizing music once again as a lost leader for your hardware sales. And the ability to do that means that you can create projects that, if they're great, they're great. And if they suck, they suck. The company doesn't go out of business. But everybody gets paid. That's right. That's the main thing. Everybody gets paid. And as you say, you know, a lot of these young bands, they can't afford to go and make records. They need that backing. They need people behind them. They need belief, you know, from bigger yep. companies. And well, I think it's a great thing what you're doing anyway. I'm all for it. And, and, well, you know, if, we've got any, uh, if we've got any great musicians listening, uh, I encourage them to uh, contact us either at Millennial Partners or Victor Records. We'd love to hear from you. And besides that, we also want to invite every corporate owner and, and, and people that might want to live in Camden to come to Camden or give us a call because Camden is a very, very exciting place to be. It's, uh, it's a fun place to be right now. You know, D- Denny and, and Graham, I have, a, I have a, a challenging question for you because we're talking about uh, how there's plenty of talent out there, um, and yet there there aren't as many new groups, new new albums, new new performers. D- do you think that the for some reason, uh, I I know the reason in my own mind, I have an opinion, but the music of the '60s and the '70s and into the '80s, uh, you know, the classic rock, oldies, all that has endured far beyond any other genre or subgenre that. I can uh, I'm aware of and so all our kids are they're just loving the Beatles and the Stones and Creedence Clearwater and Moody Blues and right you know and I'm going to see a U2 concert next week Uh, you know are they are the is the endurance of the old bands um pushing out or or barriers to entry no no what's happening is they're listening to bands that used to play live you know, we had all the venues in the old days. There were venues. We There were so many bands in Birmingham that you were lucky to get anywhere because there are so many of them. And, you know, again, what you're saying about Camden being a centre, Birmingham was never a centre. We had to move to London to get notice. Us and the Spencer Davis group and then others followed, and then it became a centre, you know. But but this is where, the way it works. But the, but the fact is 
you know, young bands do need these kind of companies behind them who believe and also have the expertise. You've got to remember that Decker and, and God bless them, EMI, didn't really know how to... And Motown it. here in, in the States. Yeah. yeah. Well, I knew those guys. I knew, I knew Barry Gordy. I mean, all those people were starting out in America. We were kind of getting friendly with all those people and watching all that new stuff happen. So it's not, you know, everything to do with the music business. We were seeing it was like an education, and we, we saw it all come from nothing to the big thing that it is. But, you know, that music, I mean, we used to listen to Paul and I, like Paul's dad was a, like a band leader, and we used to listen to all the old stuff, all the old Hoagy Carl Michael and you know, all, all the, the writers. I mean, that's the other thing that a lot of bands are writing their own material. It is new in a sense, but it's based on the same styles you know yeah they listen to radio and they listen watch television they see all the music on the ads and god knows what else and their families brought them up with this music but you know it's not like they rejected it they've gone back to it as a sort of base to, to follow you know because it's live you know and the bands were good actually they were very good because of all the live work they did so, so, so do you think that there's uh, now a, a, a market for new new theaters, new new amphitheaters, new arenas, yeah. new performing halls, concert halls? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. That is exactly what I'm getting at. I'm out there now working myself because of that, because I don't like just being in the studio. You see, the way we used to do it was we'd go in the studio, we'd make an album, then we'd go out and tour it, you yeah. know, because we needed to be on the road in order to be good. You can't just stay in the studio. You just lose all your chops. You, you need that back. synergy with the live you, audiences. You do. You need that feedback. And that's what gives you the encouragement, you know, the confidence to keep doing it. That's it. You can't do it alone. Well, Chris and our listeners, there, there's, there you have it. We've got to start for real estate development, new arenas, new, new concert it. halls. I'm all for that. Yeah. And the redevelopment of some of the old ones, I think, is probably... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we, we, we've got the original recording studio, which, uh, you know, uh, the acoustics are incredible. If you play, yeah, you know, uh, we, we, we've cleared out all the, the cubicles uh, that were there for the last hundred years and it's uh, or the last 50 years, I guess. And you ought to hear it. It's uh, it's incredible sound. That's Beautiful. What it's all about. That's what it's all about. Because the way those things were built, you know, they were built for that. And it's yeah. and the old theaters. Don't forget, you get all these towns that have an old theater like the camp Basie, you know in red bank in new jersey they're, they're sponsored by all the locals to keep those things going you know because they are such great places to play and, and they've got the tradition as well but they are actually built for that you know well, and denny uh and, and graham and chris uh this has been a fabulous conversation and i'm afraid i'm going to have to wind it down <laughs> because we're at the end of our hour um but right. listeners uh please join us again next friday at noon eastern uh, we've had fabulous show here with Krista George, the founder and CEO of Millennial Partners, with Graham Alexander and Denny Lane. You guys have been fabulous. Thank you so much for your time and for participating in our show. I also want to thank my producer, Patty Hall. Always does a great job in bringing in Denny and, and, uh, and Graham and Chris and our engineer for making us sound so good. Danielle Bruno, thank you. And please join us next week and uh, be well. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.